0: OTB Sports Rugby. Ross at 10 Probably the media were a bit harsh on him over the last few years because, from what I saw inside the doors, someone who's calm and can make plays happen. And everyone, I think, is really comfortable with him. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now.
1: Football on Off the Ball.
0: With Sky. Watch Premier League,
2: Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky
0: Sports. Welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. On Thursday, the legendary BBC football commentator John Motson died. He was 77. For so many of us in the Republic of Ireland who had the BBC or watched Match of the Day, once coloured TV became ubiquitous, John Motson was the voice of football. His career spanned 50 years on the BBC from 1968 to 2018 and in recent years he worked for Talk Sport Radio. On the BBC he joined the Match of the Day team in 1971. He commentated on 10 World Cups, 10 year European Championships and 29 FA Cup finals. We put a bit of a tribute together to John. You'll hear a part of an interview he did with Jack Henmer from Sport Bible on the importance of football to society, following a flavour of some of his best moments behind the mic over so many years.
1: I'm dedicating this to the BBC Sports Department where I've worked for as you said 50 years and been so grateful to have so much professional support behind me.
3: Now Tudor's gone down for Newcastle. Radford again. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Radford the scorer. Ronnie Radford. And the crowd. The crowd are invading the pitch. And still Ricky Villar. What a fantastic run. he scored! Amazing goal by Ricky Villar. Socrates pushing the ball forward to Zika. Oh, what a turn. He threw Gentile. Socrates is in here. It's, oh, it's there. Socrates scores a goal that sums up the philosophy of Brazilian football. Schereira right across to Marco Tardelli. 2-0 to Italy. Big honor. Goal the like flag with a minute to go it's
1: 3-2 it's made of 18 carat gold and the man who receives it is diego maradona of argentina the world's greatest player receives the world's most important football prize
3: and there it is the crazy gang have beaten the culture club and England are out of the world cup West Germany are through to the final on penalty kicks. And here's a chance for the goal. And it's in. It's Alfonso. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's 4-3 to Spain. And it's one of the most sensational matches the European Championship has ever seen. Gerard. and he looked injured and out of it as equalised for Liverpool with 90 minutes gone it's 3-3 in surely the best cup final of modern times Quinn heads on oh surely this time for Keane and Ireland do it Robbie Keane in the second minute of stoppage time has scored the equaliser look at these scenes just look at these scenes Ronaldo's dummy! Ronaldo! It's 2-0! And Ronaldo is rampant now! Resplendent Ronaldo!
1: It represents an outlet for people, a brotherly affection between people who support the same team. It streamlines an interest that people can take whatever their age, whether it's on the television, in the stadium, on their mobile phones, Go into a pub and try and listen to a conversation without football. I think football will go on in pride of place because there is so much affection going towards people's teams, idolising players, listening to managers on the television. It's very, very hard to see where that's going to stop. I think if anything, it's it's going to go on and on, certainly beyond my lifetime.
0: Joining us on the line now to talk about John is his former BBC colleague, friend, and ex Republic of Ireland and Liverpool defender Mark Lawrence. Mark, good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. When you were playing for Liverpool in the nineteen eighties, uh, Mark, um, were commentators such as John on your radar, as it were?
2: Yes, most definitely. Um, because if, if you knew John, his his attention to detail in terms of commentary was was just amazing. He would have most, if not all, managers' numbers and he would um, ring them on the Friday and ask them the team and there was such a trust between, such a bond between them all that it, he would have the team with, obviously, the fact that he couldn't give it away to anybody so it allowed him to prepare on the Friday, his commentary. Um, his wife used to help him, Annie, she was boss, it was like a, a duo and he'd just make all his notes on an A4 sheet of paper already for the game the next day and then actually so say he came to Anfield to do our game he would be there ridiculously early for three o'clock like half past eleven or something and he'd speak to everybody he'd double check that the teams were still the same and if he happened to see you and he knew you'd come up and have a little chat he would obviously tell you some stuff like you know if, you, if you're if actually playing today we said which it looks like you are this will be your 76th game for Liverpool all those kind of things and we just we just got to know him he was and also, again, in those days, which were completely different, John Motson and people like Barry Davis, um, they would go in the in the boardroom after the match. They would be invited into the boardroom by, obviously, the the, the club at, at Liverpool, and they made fantastic connections with everybody.
0: These were big figures, Mark, because there was less television back then, there was less channels, mm. um, some more people were sitting down to watch Match of the Day or watch a a game that was live. So you had to be suitable, you had to be acceptable, you had to be liked.
2: Yes, m- m- most definitely. And um, I think as well w- with that, and, and Motti will always tell you that, obviously, for match of the day, um the program went live, but obviously it wasn't the whole game, so it was it was highlighted as as much as anything but that doesn 't make any difference to commentators because you've still got to commentate and you've got to get it right so and lots of people seem to think that that you know people commentators went to the game and then they did the Commentary over over the videos that they were saying, seeing after the game had finished, and people wouldn't believe you. But no, it's it's what they did. They're actually up there on the gantry, wind, rain, hail, snow, and and get on with it. And you know they were, I mean, himself and Barry Davies were were obviously the, the two main uh, guys with, with with BBC, and they sort of they wouldn't be the best of friends, but they were. You know, they both knew that one of them was always eventually going to be John and it, and it turned out that it was John but Barry was compensated by the fact that he, he could do tennis, he could do all kinds of other sports as well but they were top commentators.
0: What do you think made John Martin such a great commentator, Mark?
2: I would say that in all my time with him, John, um, we've done World Cup Finals, Euros, Golden Gold Euros as well, uh, FA Cup Finals, etc. He's always got The big moments right absolutely perfect and you know he'll he'll have he'll know at the end of the uh, end of the game exactly what he's going to say because he will have he'll he'll have wrote many different endings um and he was just and listen it's just that 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 thing about he had to know absolutely everything but also he, he enjoyed the game when it was on and um you know, we had we had a lot of fun, really. In all honesty, I mean, it had Sir Trevor Brookin with him co-commentating for a while, and Trevor um, relinquished the task, and then I, Graham Lesure was was due to take it, and for some reason he decided not to. So I got the shout, and I said to our boss, Niall Sloane, said, "Look, Niall, I said I'll do it with pleasure." I said, "The only problem is, of course, you know I have played Friday," and he said, "Now it, it it won't be a problem," and it, and it turned out that it, it wasn't a problem, but. Um, God love Mottie because I just remember one day and he turned around to me and we'd we'd done a commentary and he said, I need to thank you. And I said, what for? He said, you've given me an extra 10 years in terms of commentating because I was just, I think I was just a bit different and I like to have a little bit of a laugh about it as well. It was supposed to be entertainment. So um, I'll never forever, ever forget that day. And he had a little bit of a tear in his eye. I'm also almost bubbling as well thinking, oh my goodness. Yeah, a proper, proper bloke. But the other thing as well, he would... You'd have a drink with him afterwards, you know, even if like me as a co-commentator had made mistakes or whatever, it wasn't mentioned, you just got on with life. And very, very generous person. Every Christmas, we'd have a lunch for 32 of us, himself included, in Mayfair, so in London, and he would pay for all of it. And by the way, the lunch wasn't two hours, it was six or seven hours. And um, that's why you've seen that, you know, in all the newspapers across here as well, they've done massive pieces about him because he's just a generous guy. But also, for many of us, and me included, he was the voice of football, quite simply.
0: Yeah, and a kind soul, as you say, Laro. So mm. how did it kind of develop between the first game you did with him in the box to working at World Cup finals? You learned the rhythms, you learn when to talk, when not to talk, when to let him go, because he was a big man for the preparation.
2: Oh, was he ever. Um, you just, You just... You just got used to it basically we were, we were we were. well you know said to myself we, I thought we were really really good together i I realized when he stopped speaking um, and I would say something, and I would quite often chuck a bit of it what I thought was a funny line, and he used to giggle, uh, which I think he quite enjoyed um and it was easy it was easy with him i think if you ask some some of some of the guys who work with him as in a producer. You know, so, say, on a match of day on a Saturday, so the producer would turn up with, with Motti, make sure he was all right, got him a cup of coffee, all those kind of things, as I say, hours before the game. And then Motti say, right, we need to go on the gantry. So he'd go and check the gantry position. And if it wasn't right, he'd, he'd let it be known. Then he'd go back down. And basically, the poor producer just followed him around all day. And he would, you know, get him some lunch and then say, right, we need to go down the tunnel, Motty, and then take him down the tunnel. And just it was like almost like a chaperone as much as anything, but I remember one moment, well, a couple of moments which were really really funny. We were in Stuttgart for the the World Cup in Germany, and he had a different producer, a, a, a lady, a young lady called Karen Gray. She was lovely, Karen, and she was she was like, oh my goodness me, she'd heard all these stories about sometimes that, that when it's not happening for him, you, you know, he wasn't great to be around, and she was really really worried. Well, honestly. He would, they were great together. But this time in Stuttgart and I would turn up about two and a half hours before the match, go and say hello to him and then just leave him, leave him to it. And eventually I'd get up on the gantry about a quarter of an hour before the game started. And and this particular day, I think it was Stuttgart and it was red hot. It was five o'clock in the afternoon, red hot. And and across from the main stand that we were in was a smaller stand, but the, but the sun was just above that stand and as I came in, Karen came up to me and pulled me to one side she went, he's on one. I said, why? She said, oh my God. He said, you never know. Anyway, so came and sat down. And as I sat down, he went, hello, Laurel, you all right? I said, yeah, you're all right. He went, no. I said, what, what's the matter, John? He said, and he, he pointed to the sun, right? He, he never moved his head. He had his notes below. He never moved his head. He pointed to the sun and he went, can you do something about that? <laughs> And I said, "Sorry, John. i I can't do anything about that." And it was—it it basically the, the sun was getting in his eyes, and he's thinking to himself, "I won't be able to see an important important moment in this game." But but it was all good.
0: And there was another moment that I think you've recounted, Mark, where you messed up his notes.
2: Oh yeah. Oh God, yeah. That was in the in the um, the golden goal final, which would be what um, France and Italy, wasn't it? Yeah. And he has this A4 piece of paper. And it's got green writing on it, black writing, red writing, and what have I missed, blue. So he's got all his notes on there. He's got the teams, um, and it's it is a work of art. I mean he used to sell them for, 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 for lots of money on in, in terms of charity, etc. And an absolute work of art's got the referee and a little anecdote about the referee maybe in case you need it, if something happened and all those kind of things. But it's all on this A4 uh, sheet of paper, um, with like some cardboard backing. Anyway, half time in the game, not lots happening. And I just reached over to get a bottle of water. I didn't realise that the top was loose. And as I pricked up the top, the whole water came out and it went all over his notes. And honestly, John, it gave me this, it gave me this look, and I'm thinking, uh-oh. And I'm waiting for him to say something. And Garth Trucks was the other side of Mott, and He just he could not stop laughing, which <laughs> made, it, made it even worse. And I and I thought, I'm, I'm going to have to say something so I said look John I'm really really sorry I said but think about it I said you you know absolutely everything on there and he just looked at me and we didn't speak for a couple of minutes and then just as we were coming back to start again he went yeah all good all good so yeah I destroyed his notes
0: how oh, dare me Was there a moment when you said to yourself sitting beside him wow he really got this he really nailed this call like some of the best calls that you made Laura?
2: Yeah, what was it? What was the uh, the Liverpool Arsenal final
0: in the Michael uh, Owen two thousand one? Was it? Yeah, yeah,
2: unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. He got it, and it, he, the great thing about him as well, John, was that when it happened, he just waited. I mean, he didn't wait for long, but it's like just a couple of seconds, and he was obviously getting programmed in his mind because he knew exactly what he was going to say because he had everything worked out, and and then he'd hit you with with obviously what he wanted to say, and he was. He was, he was just brilliant, um, but he was, he, he, he was different. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, my, after I did my first um, co-com with him, uh, Niall Sloan, as I mentioned before, he was our boss. And he said, oh, that was really, really good. And I said, was it? He, he said, yeah, yeah. I said, Niall. I said, I can tell you this, but probably not him. I said, it was like working with Rain Man. And he just started (laughs) laughing. And and he he went, well, no one's ever said that before. I said, but it is, isn't it? And he went, absolutely, totally true. And 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 it was because he had to, everything had to be just so because, as I say, attention to detail. And he was just
0: a perfectionist. But still able to convey that boyish enthusiasm Uh. and that reflection of what the fan felt and not go over the top on his commentaries, not scream and shout um, just generally just called it as it was. No kind of idiosyncrasies or no um, prepared lines. I know the Crazy Gang Culture Club is, I'd say that probably came into the top of his mind, you know, given the way I I looked at a lot of his commentaries. Um, Yeah. Just in terms of his views on the game, because obviously we know he commented on the game for fifty years. But was he a fan of expansive football? Did he like the art of defending? Did he talk about much about the game itself?
2: Oh yeah, he talked about the game. And he, he, thing is, of course, he knew every he knew every player. I mean, I, I know, and, and I've been with him when he's had calls from from guys at different teams asking about players. Had he seen them? You know, and, and what were they like, and all those kind of things. Yes. Yeah, so, but he now he just he just loved. Like that Liverpool game, he he loved it because it was just proper football, as I would say, and 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 the France Italy golden goal game as well. I mean, if you think about that as well, you know, for a man who, who does worry about ev- everything and did worry about everything, so all of a sudden, you know, it's a golden goal and no one's ever had it before, and he's he's always you imagine his mind the way he works and he's thinking, oh my goodness, what if I get this wrong? And he, I mean, Trezeguet scored, didn't he? And he got it absolutely. Absolutely perfect. So, um, But he was, I mean, he had his idiosyncrasies, and myself and Ray Stubbs used to look after him. <clears throat> excuse me. We used to look after him before games, uh, certainly when we were away, and we would, he'd always like, he'd, he'd like to eat, so say it was an 8 o'clock kickoff, he'd like to eat at 4, and he'd say to him, what do you want? And he said, I want a cheese toasty, which <laughs> if you're in <laughs> Austria or Switzerland at the time, would not be the easiest thing to get. And then I remember one day we, re- we really put him out of kilter because we said, and we were in, uh, it was in Austria, in Vienna, and we were going to the match to commentate and we said, uh, we're going on the train. And like he stopped and he went, why? So he said, well, I said, has said, done the dummy run um, to see exactly, you know, where we get on, where we got off, all those kind of things. And it's just going to be so much easier, John, because instead of taking an hour and a half for all the traffic, it's going to take us 20 minutes. And he looked at us, and he just so wasn't certain. Anyway, we got him on the train, and of course then, after the match, he's telling everyone, oh, I got on with the lads, and I went on the train, and never would have ever thought about that before. Just honestly, mad. Mad.
3: Yeah,
0: and wedded to routine, obviously. He needed to have his routine so he can get yes. in his mind how to nail the commentary, and he never made a mistake, as you said. He listened back to all the commentaries, all the goals, didn't make any mistakes. so hard, such a hard craft. Also, on a serious note, he was there at Hillsborough, Mark, and you know, even mm-hmm. when the Lepine's Lane was being overcrowded and the crush was happening and that tragedy was unfolding, you know, he was describing everything correctly. And you need someone like that who's trusted to be able to tell you what's going on.
2: Oh, absolutely! Because I mean, they they were on air for ages, and you know, obviously, as everything was 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 unfolding and the realization of of what was happening, and but also the fact that he. He's, he's got to, I don't know whether commentate on it was right, or he, he has to talk about it because it's, you know, the pictures were still there and absolutely everything. And I think that's that's when you realise that you're actually working with somebody who's absolutely, totally on top of their job. And, and that's the way that he was, you know, extremely sympathetic. And, you know, it was just part and, part and parcel of, of, the, of the way that it was. And here's one for you, John. So <clears throat> we were doing... Uh, It was Football Focus many years ago, and Tony Blair had agreed, well, in fact, he didn't didn't agree to come in. He'd spoken to someone and asked, could he come on Football Focus? Because himself and his eldest son, I think his name's Blair, if my memory serves me right, they used to watch it. used to watch Football Focus together on a Saturday, generally, and the Prime Minister said, that's our kind of hour together. So, of course, we said, yeah, of course, you can come in and all those. So there's a bit of a you know, a hoopla about security and all those kind of things. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. Anyway, he turned up and in the room, in the green room, was Hanson Lineker, me, um, and the presenter who was, um think, a machine. And he walked in, right, and he went straight, Motti was there, and he the prime minister walked straight to Moti and said, Hello, Motti.
3: Now,
2: <laughs> w- where would you get that? There I mean, you he, go. He obviously, completely blacked us or blanked us, but uh, he went straight to Motti. This is the prime minister of the country. Hello, Motti. So that tells you something
0: about him. Well, there you go. You're known by your, your, you know, your monikers. Were uh, Motti. Mm-hmm. You're known across the nation by the most important person at the time, in, in terms of politics in the in the nation. Obviously, he knew Cluffy. He know he knew Fergie. He had his almost his run-ins as well with them, which are well documented. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, he, I know, I know, and it was, it was never ever um, published this. So Roy Keane got sent off at Old Trafford, wouldn't know who against, and Motty's got Fergie, and he's hitting with him. Roy Keane got sent off again, and, and basically Fergie was effing and everything to Motty, right? And that really, really, really gave it to him. And there was a bit of anti-BT at BBC in there as well, and everything. So anyway, so basically the. The interview was a shambles. But down the line in London, um, Des Lynam, who was watching, because Des presented the programme in those days, Des said to our editor, he said, you should show that. You should show that, because that's somebody bullying. You know, it's, and obviously Fergie was just completely mad. I, I think the, they might have even been beaten at home on the day. And we we declined. We declined to show it. But But, you know, I mean... All after that, the aftermath was that every time then that, that Motty interviewed Fergie, it was all sweetness and light, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. But
2: uh, Fergie, Fergie really let rip. Not so much the fact that it was Motty and the BBC, but the fact that you know Roy Keane had got sent off again for such a great player and it was like another suspension for him. And as I said, he possibly might have even lost the game that day.
0: And you're traveling the world, you're covering World Cup finals. Like this is the pinnacle of um, the industry. Obviously, you were a player, Mark, you play for us, you play mm. for Ireland, you play for Liverpool, you won all those leagues in the European Cup. But in a different way, you're reaching the top of the world in another way. You're like you're in a press box at a World Cup final with all the people from Argentina, Brazil, all over the world covering the biggest game.
2: Yeah, fab. <clears throat> I used to keep pinching myself. And you know, it was it was um it was good on a day off as well because we'd always go, we'd go out and have lunch. Um, he enjoyed he enjoyed his life. Um he always had as well, John and I'm not speaking out of turn here, his, his his last drink of the day would have been Scotch. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes as well Irish Jamesons, I would have thought. And that was the always thing, so he'd go. We'd be in a hotel with other people, obviously. because um, obviously there was like it was over a hundred people there if you if you're in the World Cup wherever it is from the BBC. And he'd say, Right, last drink, then I'm going to bed and he'd have a scotch. He'll have had his cheese toastie before, and, and, he would, and he would go to bed, and he'd be up bright and early in the morning, and he just knew that he'd, he'd already prepped for the for, for the next game. Um, I do remember as well in, in, in Switzerland, where, unusually, just the two of us were travelling. We normally, had, as I said, had a producer, had a, had a sound man, engineer, all those kind of things, where there's probably six or seven, but there was only himself and myself. So, we're in the hotel, the car comes to pick us up and, you know, I wheel his case out for him, as you do, chuck it in the boot and all those kind of things, get to the airport, get his case out again, obviously with mine, and go in to check in. Now, in Switzerland, in those years, you could actually go to a machine and check yourself in. You didn't have to speak to anybody. So he we said, well, oh, Laura, why don't we do that? And I said, John. Honestly, I'm Mr. Bean with all this stuff. I'm absolutely hopeless, but we'll have a go. Anyway, God, God, love him, I, I sorted it all out and managed to get the tags on and absolutely everything. And then he took, you took your suitcase over to the, to the guy who, who just checked it. And he went, yeah, all good, all good. Off you go, and, you know, go through. So fine. So we do security, and he wasn't a good traveller. Wasn't a good traveller at all. But quite nervous, and we go through security, and. Fortunately, you know, we had this pass. So we went straight into the lounge. And he said, Right, Loro, what are you having to drink? And I said, I'm all right, John. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I don't, re- I don't really want one. I'll have one after the game, whatever. He said, Well, you know I'm going to have one. Don't? He said, Yeah, yeah. He said, Well, have I told you that I've changed what I'm going to drink? And I went, No. <laughs> he said, Yeah. He said, uh, I had a vodka the other week by mistake. And he said, I quite like vodka. So he went, Can you go and get me one? So I wish I was I was Zenny's butler, wasn't he? Going go to get a drink and everything and a sandwich and but it was it was it was just yeah. fun and it was like, I don't know, it was a bit like your uncle.
0: Sure, sure. In
2: charge, in charge of you, uh yes. there was obviously Leeway, but he was still your uncle, and you know you couldn't sort of misbehave yeah, to in case him, went yeah. back and told your parents.
0: And just to finish, Mark, we're sorry to for the loss of your friend and your colleague uh, John Motson and uh, he's gonna be remembered as a one off and and the voice of the game.
2: Oh, well, yesterday, John, honestly my phone never, ever, ever stopped from all different people. And everybody, you know, everybody knows the stories. But, but literally millions of people, men and women, right, were, were brought up with listening to his voice and, and what a voice he had. And by the way, what a top commentator and person he
0: was. Mark Lawrence, and thank you so much for being on Off The Ball to share your memories of John Watson today. OTB Sports Rugby. Ross at 10, Probably the media were a bit harsh on him over the last few years because from what I saw inside the doors, someone who's calm and can make plays happen. And
3: everyone I think is really comfortable with him. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now.